Welcome to Amplify, the Revolution Her podcast, dedicated to uplifting, empowering, and amplifying women's voices globally. Our community is a fierce collective of women who are ready to live the lives they always dreamed they would. Together, our strength as inspiring and ambitious women is truly unstoppable. I'm Maria Locker, founder and CEO of Revolution Her. And I'm your co-host, Grace Moores, founding partner of Revolution Her. And today we're talking about scaling impact through entrepreneurship with Carly Schuler. Carly is a literacy expert leveraging the power of technology to advance reading skills for thousands of children across North America. As co-founder and co-CEO of Hoot Reading, a cutting-edge award-winning international ed tech startup, Carly partners with school districts and nonprofits to impact those who need reading support the most. She's been working at the intersection of children's technology, education, and media for almost two decades. She holds a master's degree in technology, innovation, and education from the Harvard Graduate School of Education, where she studied how media and technology can be used to educate children effectively. She's worked with some of the biggest brands in the world, including Sesame Workshop, Spin Master Toys, and UNESCO. Carly spent over five years at the Joan Gans Cooney Center at Sesame Workshop, where she researched and authored a number of seminal reports focused on the power of digital media and mobile devices to help children learn. She frequently speaks worldwide on the topics of early literacy and children's learning through technology. We have so much to dive in here today. Please help us welcome this amazing woman, Carly Schuler. Hi, Carly. Hi, thank you for that lovely introduction. Oh my gosh, thank you for being here. We are just so excited to have you. And for any of our listeners that are part of our OG Mompreneur crowd, Carly was actually one of our old Mompreneur Award alumni from years ago. We're still trying to figure out what year it was, but it's got to be about 10 years. <laughs> um, Long enough that neither of us could remember what year it was. <laughs> that's sh- We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> But, uh, you know, truly, it is so good to see you again. And we're so excited to talk to you because you have been on this incredible trajectory. You know, we've kind of been watching from afar um, and so excited to learn more. So we're going to start, you know, by asking if you can maybe share some details on the journey that you've had and working with big brands like Sesame Workshop, Spin Master Toys, and what led to Hoot Reading being what it is now? Yeah, it definitely has been quite a long journey um, that goes way back to really even my early days in in college and university trying to decide what I wanted to do. And I was always sort of torn between business and education. And um, I ended up going the business route, um, working at Spin Master, which does come back around in the toy Mm -hmm. space. Um, so always really had a passion for the kids industry. And, uh, and while I was at Spin Master, I felt like there was an opportunity to bring my passion for education to what I was doing. And in fact, I felt like there was a gap between the people creating the products that ended in the hands of kids and um, the people who really knew something about um, education and child psychology. And so I actually went and I got my master's in technology, innovation and education at the Harvard Graduate School of education, um, which led me to Sesame Workshop, the creators of Sesame Street. 
And uh, that was a real goal of mine to work at Sesame Workshop because I had always felt like they were the leaders in providing informal, fun experiences that were also truly educational and research-based. So I was so lucky to get that job coming out of the Harvard Ed School. And I worked at an internal think tank called the Joan Gans CUNY Center, um, which is named after the woman uh, who actually founded Sesame Workshop. So speaking of incredible female <laughs> females, they're, yeah. they're behind Sesame Street and many people don't know that. Um, and so we worked on research projects aimed at understanding how kids could learn through new and emerging forms of media, um, much in the same way that when uh, Joan Yams Cooney created Sesame Street, television was a new and emerging form of media and right. everything targeting kids on television was really um, not only not to their benefit, but probably mostly to their detriment, you know, things that were violent or inappropriate. And so she thought, well, instead of trying to make it so the kids aren't watching TV, let's make it so that what they're watching is actually a positive thing or a pro-social thing for them. Um, so a really inspiring idea. And one of the projects that I worked on at the time was, and it sounds crazy to say it in the wake of the pandemic, um, but whether kids could learn over video call. So oh, wow. at the time, Skype was just becoming mainstream. Um, we weren't having meetings like this. And the idea that maybe a kid could learn over video chat or would be in a scenario where they would learn with another human over video chat was actually quite, quite novel. Mm -hmm. So we did a research study um, where we mocked up uh, like an old Nokia phone. This was in, in partnership with Nokia and Sesame Workshop and the CUNY Center. So we mocked up these phones and we uh, we did this incredible research. And what we found was that in the right set of circumstances, so with the right technology, the right teacher and the right books, kids could make meaningful reading gains over video call. Mm -hmm. um, made it into a bunch of great research studies but never actually made it out of the labs. Um, so fast forward a number of years and a lot of a lot of long or short stories. Um, uh, I moved back from New York where I was living to Winnipeg, had my own family and decided that that idea was too good to stay in the labs, got the rights, formed a company and here we are. That's wow. crazy. That's amazing though, right? And, and so that company, Hoot Reading is doing monumental things for, for children's education. Do you want to tap into a little bit about what the platform does and why it's so important? Yeah, of course. So Hoot Reading provides one-on-one -on -one literacy instruction with real classroom teachers. So to give that a little bit more grounding, we connect kids with real teachers, the same ones you would find in a classroom, and they do reading lessons live online reading lessons over the app. So it takes that one-on-one -on -one benefit that kids so rarely get with teachers um, and makes it much more accessible and um, feasible for so many more kids to have access to that kind of one-on-one -on -one high quality instruction. And that's oh, the key, wow. right? The fact that they are, you know, certified instructors, you know, a lot of parents are spending more on tutors or extra help for their kids, but the ease of being able to have this on a digital app and have access to that expertise, that's huge. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that really, you know, traditional tutoring, when you look at it is, um, there's some things that that can be modernized about it. So I know a lot of us parents, myself included, have a bit of maybe PTSD from online learning during the pandemic. And uh, certainly no one would ever say that our kids should be doing the bulk of their learning online. But when it comes to tutoring, um, and in particular, 
reading tutoring or tutoring with young children, the traditional model of go somewhere for an hour isn't really research-based. The research shows that um, shorter, more frequent lessons are more effective and more engaging and ultimately result in better outcomes. And so the truth is we can't really take our kids to a physical in-person space for 20 minute blocks, it's not very, it's not very feasible. And so that's where online, if it's done properly, can really have a benefit over in person. It's, it's so fascinating to me, right? And as a, a former elementary school teacher, I just, you know, that was, again, lots of years ago. <laughs> my first born. Yeah, oh, yeah, my firstborn is going to be 16. So I mean, we're talking like early stages, kindergarten teacher and how cool would that have been back then to have that? I mean, we had no concept of video calls or anything like you mentioned, right? So this idea of now implementing different programming that can be done for children in such a way that fosters that excitement for reading, because that's what it is, right? They need to be excited to do something. Absolutely. They need to be excited. They need to be confident. We need to not, you know, there also is a deadline with reading. Um, Parents are often really surprised to learn that over two thirds of kids are reading below grade level by grade four. And that's two thirds of all kids. Those numbers are far worse for our marginalized kids. And I think the reason that that's surprising is because that's not saying that two thirds of kids are illiterate. So we all feel most of us, you know, those of us lucky enough probably to be on this call and certainly to be listening to this podcast, feel confident that our kids will not be illiterate. Um, However, there is something called the fourth grade reading slump, which means that what happens to those two thirds of kids who are reading below grade level come grade four is that they start to fall behind in school. Mm -hmm. Um, They're falling behind in things like math and science and The reason for that, for many of those kids, is that they're not comprehending the science textbook at the level they need to be, or they're not reading their math problem as quickly as they need to be and understanding what they need to do. They're labeled by themselves, their teachers, their peers as bad at math, and that impacts the rest of their educational trajectory and beyond. So um, I think when we think about that fourth grade reading slump as parents, we need to, it's not just that, you know, we know our kids will be read and will read. And it's also, you know, some people, we don't need our kids to love to read. It's great if they do. It's also okay if they don't love to read, but they need to be reading at that level by that time, or it will impact other things. Yeah. Very good point. That is right. a good, yeah. I'm going to di- shift the, the conversation if that's okay. And I really want to talk talk and explore the social impact and of, of what you're doing. And the great thing about being entrepreneurs is that we have that opportunity to be a lot more flexible. And so adding social element uh, impact elements to our business can be easier in some ways. And I'd love if you're able to share some of the steps that you took um, or that other small businesses can take um, to add that into their, into their business. Yeah, of course. We're really proud um, to be social entrepreneurs and are very intentional in thinking through how we approach that and still learning. It's still a journey. And when I look back, I think there are things I would have done differently. And so we look at it as as we are a double bottom line company, meaning that um, we have our financial bottom line and we have our social bottom line, which is, you know, literacy gains. Um, And both of those things have to work together or else both will fail for us at Hoot Reading. So um, our the way 
it's interesting because from the very day that Maya, my co-founder Maya Katecha and I started the business, we wanted to not only be a social impact company in terms of um, improving literacy for kids, but we wanted to be able to work on literacy for all kids. And so what that means is as a company that sells extra tutoring, how do we get this into the kids who can't afford, into the hands of kids who couldn't otherwise afford it? Um, And so from day one, we made quite a simple decision to allocate 1% of our revenues towards who reading scholarships for underserved kids, um, which was very small, but at least it was something to show, like, we're not just giving this to, um, to the kids who can afford it. And then it's been an evolution from there because again, we found that that was great, but that was really small. You know, we weren't really, we found most of our customers were higher income, um, families. And so then, yes, we were giving away a little bit as a donation, but it didn't feel our literacy impact was great, but our social impact with the kids who couldn't afford it, we weren't feeling great about. So we were like, we need to do something bigger here. So um, we launched Hoop for All uh, about a year and a half into our business, which was essentially the idea that we would find a partner, um, our biggest partner being Boys and Girls Clubs of Canada, um, and then find a funder who would fund lessons for the kids with that distribution partner and, um, and then get lessons out that way, which was a second great step towards impact for us and also ticked both of those buckets because it was, they were buying lessons, right? The sponsor was buying lessons from Hoot, which allowed Hoot to grow and thrive. And then um, the lessons were being given to kids who couldn't afford them or kids who wouldn't otherwise have access to extra tutoring. So that Mm -hmm. was great. Um, However, there are a lot of challenges with like a sponsorship-based business in terms of you know, economic impacts and things like that. So something like the pandemic happens and suddenly corporate sponsors aren't necessarily- Yeah, they're pulling their dollars. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so we realized that that was a real risk as a business for us. Um, So that leads to where we are today with impact, which I truly like in my gut, I'm like, this is this is the best thing we've done. Um, and probably only enabled because of the pandemic, frankly, which is that we are selling to school districts. So school districts are purchasing lessons for their children and then allocating them to the kids that either to all kids or to some kids. And for us, that feels really great because equity, I mean, one could argue this, but you could achieve equity so much more when you're working at the school level. Yeah. yeah. Especially- I, I- Sorry. I love how you have really utilized partnerships and collaborations. And I think it's, it, I, that's my area of expertise. And I, you can do so much more when you work with other organizations, whether it is through sponsorship or whether it's collaborations or whether that there's just so much more you can do together. And it's been such a common theme for your story, even from when you started right at the beginning with, with the Sesame Street work, Sesame Street workshops, you can see you've had that, those collaborations all the way through. And, and I'm just, I'm, it's such a great, great to see and I'm very proud of you and I wish more people would go down that route in terms of leveraging other organizations and and uh, to get to where they are so good so just a hats off to you there oh thank you yeah I mean we've been so we've had such I could not agree with you more and we've had such incredible partners including things that you wouldn't have expected so for example we did this original boys and girls club work with boys and girls club funded by Spinmaster. Um, which is a relationship we had from when I worked there, but 
then the pandemic happened and then that sort of got put on hold. But then after the pandemic ended, TD for their the challenge that they do, TD Bank, um, yeah. does a massive challenge annually, their cause was learning loss. So we were able to go to go back and apply with Boys and Girls Club as the nonprofit partner. They were able to apply and say, we have a program for learning loss. It works. We 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 did it before the pandemic. Now we just need funding for not just need funding, but we need funding so that we can um do it at scale. And we actually were the recipient of a million dollar grant through the TD Ready Challenge, or I should say Boys and Girls Clubs was um, purchasing Hoot Lessons. So it was just such a, the partners are absolutely fundamental to us when it comes to our impact. Yeah, it's key. key. Those partners are the same for us, right? And Mm. when you find those collaborations, and especially when you find brands and companies that are aligned with your same social impact values, right? Because that's key, right? Any business owner, you know, can start a company and just look at profit as the main success criteria that they have in mind. You know, we all have to make money in order to continue to thrive. But what I love is that you're seeing more and more that small business owners and companies, even corporations, they're looking at ways that they can show their social impact, what have you seen that's really inspired you maybe from other brands out there that are doing innovative things to continue that social conversation? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that when it comes to the social conversation, what I've really seen that I'm excited about is a lot of VCs who are either social focused, uh, you know, a social impact fund, but even non-socially focused venture capitalists are starting to look at impact um, Mm -hmm. as something that is important to them. And so um, with, you know, with us, with Spin Master as our main funder, it's really great because they are so aligned with our social impact as well as our financial impact. um, And you do need both to thrive as a business. So um, in terms of other companies that I've seen that are doing amazing things, I think it's, it's such a range, but I think that there's so much incredible stuff happening around impact. And it's really, there's a lot of great models now. And I think every company, whether you are a double bottom line company or not, needs to be thinking about impact. Yeah. Yeah, we're seeing it across the board with a lot of the women in our community. And I find a lot of women are kind of at the forefront of that social conversation, whether it's, you know, impact on the environment, impact on learning, impact on marginalized communities, right? So there's just so many ways you can look at it. So if you're a business owner listening to this episode and you're thinking, you know, I don't currently, you know, do that in my system. Can you offer some tips for anyone listening on how they could get started? Where do they start? To think about to think about their own social impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you need to look at your business and then think about starting small. So like I said, when we started with our impact journey, um, outside of just, again, the general literacy impact, the actual like impact with marginalized or, or historically underprivileged or historically underserved youth, it was we're going to take 1% and we're going to donate it in lessons. And it's, yeah. you know, it was small, but it was the thing that we could do that was in our control. So for instance, I know that the, you know, the gym I go to does karma classes um, and it's something small and it's something simple, but it's, it shows that it's important to you and it shows that it's something you're working towards. So I don't, I think you can have the big vision. So for us, the big vision was, you know, hoop for all, and then now selling to schools, but we did it. And a lot of people, frankly, a lot of entrepreneurs said, you can't, you're a startup. You can't be donating 1% of your revenues to like, you just can't do that at your stage. That will come later. Impact comes later. Um, 
And I just would encourage people to think, no, impact starts the day you start your business and think about what that means to you. And ideally it's, it's core to your product. Like with us, we are helping kids learn to read. So, um, you know, that's, that is impact in and of itself. But even if your business is, is not a, an impact business at its core, you think about the impact you have and, and what's important to you and do it from day one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that's that. great advice. I love that. It's so important to do. And as Maria says, we are seeing so many new organizations coming in now that are that is, a, a, you know, a key part of their business. So um, we want to inspire those companies too that aren't maybe doing anything yet. And I would love to maybe if you could share some some of the successes you've had with your business as a result of that social impact. Yeah, I love that question because I do believe that social impact and business success, and I'd almost go back to what we call our double bottom line, um, you know, our financial bottom line and our social bottom line are deeply intertwined. And I think in a true impact business and in in many businesses, those things feed each other. And so um, the best example is the work that we're doing with schools now, whereby we, you know, by selling to schools, we are meeting our impact goal. So by meeting our revenue goal, we're meeting our impact goal. And when those things are truly baked together, it's very meaningful because it means that one can't grow without the other. Um, But even taking a step back from that, even if you don't have a business that is true, you know, that is a social impact business, but you want to have impact. I have noticed that when we do things that are impact, our, our revenue from the other side of the business goes up. So we launched Hoot for All um, with boys and girls clubs, which meant that more people, we got press around that, more people are hearing about your business, and then we have more consumers coming in who can afford the business. So it definitely is, um, uh, they feed each other in a really beautiful way. Yeah, just the doors that can open along the way, right? And and that's something that, you know, we've talked on a few different um panel discussions, for example, about just this idea that when you share that social impact, you know, whether it's through media or press releases, or you're sharing it on your social channels, because you're saying, you know, not only do we do this great, fantastic thing, but look at what it affords us to do elsewhere. It actually continues that conversation and it makes social impact normal. It makes it you know, consumers have so much power in what they choose to do with their money, right? So you're seeing more and more that this idea of social impact is the norm. Absolutely. And I think if you have a consumer business, so you're selling to consumers, people, to your point, we have a lot of choice. We want to feel good about the brands and the companies that we work with. And when you look at us, you know, the parents who can afford to pay for us, are cognizant that they are coming from a place of privilege. And so they want to be, they want to help their kids. They want to give this for their kids, but they also want to be helping kids who can't afford it. So it really, you know, it, it, it helps your value proposition. At least in our case, it has helped our value proposition by having that impact without question. Yeah. I love it. Raising your prices. Yeah. Yeah, because, well, at the end of the day, I remember, you know, we have a social impact um, component to what we do at Revolution Her as well. You know, we, twice a year, we go to our local women's shelter and we bring them our beautiful gift boxes filled with products for women. And, um, you know, for us, it's a huge piece of what we're able to do. And 
you know, I can remember the first few times that we did it. It's it's one of those things where you don't realize how much of an impact it actually has on you as a person, as the business owner, knowing that it can create a ripple effect, right? So it, there's so many beautiful layers to it. And when we, you know, we, <laughs> we thought the first time, let's just put, you know, $1 markup at checkout. Would you like to donate $1? When we changed that to, would you like to donate $1, $5 or $10? Most people chose to upsell and donate more because you're actually giving them the freedom to say, I am, I am in a position that I can give more. So it's, it's interesting. I agree. Um, And on, on another note, another ripple effect that I think is really strong. If you have an impact um, business, or even if you're just a social impact on, you know, socially minded entrepreneur, let's say for us at who we absolutely think our impact is our unfair competitive advantage when it comes to hiring. And so we are a team, a head office team of um, about 40 people based in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And we've been able to recruit an incredible team. Um, and I honestly think a large part of that is because we have a lot of incredible technical talent here in Manitoba and they wanted to come work for an impact focused business. So it is a huge, you know, it's a huge advantage if you can truly make an impact. Yeah, it. we heard that recently as well, actually, with with larger organizations when they were interviewing candidates were actually researching what their social impact was and what they were giving back and so they were applying for those jobs because of that with 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 them so yeah that's a really great point to make too yeah this has been so you know eye opening really as well and we haven't really had a chance to talk about this educational component this educational side so before we head into our rapid fire questions, which is shortly coming up. I'd love if you could share, you know, going back to that parent side, you know, for a lot of parents that might be listening to this, what can we continue to do as the adults with young people around us to continue to foster that love of education, or if not that love of education, at least the encouragement to get to that level of reading that's needed? Yeah, it's such an interesting time for us as parents, um, because the pandemic is, it's not over, but it's sort of over and our kids are back in school and there's so much mental health, um, you know, unique challenges. And I think the biggest focus when it comes to reading is that we have a massive cohort of kids who missed their formative years. Um, And that is very serious. Reading scores are the worst that they have been in over two decades. And the ripple effect of that, because of that fourth grade reading slump, could be huge. So my advice to parents is twofold. It's first of all, simply to make sure that you understand where you're at, where your child's at with regards to their reading and not just assume that you're going to hear if there's an issue, you should be probing that and understanding where they need to be. And if they're there. Um, And then the second thing is if they're not there, get, get them the extra supports that they need. If you can afford it, or find a way to get it through your school um, and make sure that the teachers are aware that you're concerned because so often we won't, you know, we won't notice that until grade five, six, and it is kind of too late. So catch it early, but also foster confidence. We don't want to create kids who hate reading, who have negative experiences around it. And so building that confidence is absolutely key. Such good points. And, and um, I'd be remiss. My husband's a school teacher. Um, I kind of left him <laughs> teaching on his own when I, you know, stayed home with the kids and started my own company. But 
um, I'd be remiss to say, you know, teachers are stretched right now. I know in our province, particularly, it's it's something that it does take an entire village. And I think a lot of times, you know, parents are overwhelmed. COVID has not been fun for parents, you know, especially people that had to stay home with their kids. It's It got really stressful. And so they're, you know, being able to kind of think of it as a community approach, like you said, don't exactly. wait for the teacher, right? Yeah. And I think, and that, I mean, I just, if there's anything I can say, I think teachers are the unsung heroes of the pandemic. We talk a lot about our first responders and our doctors and um, our scientists, but teachers had the impossible job during the pandemic, the most impossible job, um, in my opinion. And there is no teacher who is able to, even before the pandemic, to figure, you have a class of 20 children, and we're talking young children in these you know, emergent reader years. These are not, these are kids who still sometimes need help with things like we can even go to bathrooming. I mean, there are, these are very young kids. There's behavioral stuff. And so to have to understand and evaluate and teach to kids who can range from not knowing their letter sounds to be fully and fluently reading and comprehending Harry Potter is impossible. And that's where that one-on-one, the magic of one-on-one is, is unparalleled. Yeah. That's why what you're doing is so, the timing, the the importance of it all. I mean, it's just incredible. So we are, we are here cheering you on every step of the way. Um, Such, such important stuff. Thank you. All right. I'm going to hand it over to Grace because she's going to dive in with our first rapid fire question. Okay. If you had a theme song, what would it be? Oh my gosh. If I have a theme song, can you tell me how to get to Sesame Street? (laughs) (laughs) Love it. That is awesome. <laughs> I still sing I think the it's one actually called. I think it's actually called Sunny Days. Sunny Days. I Okay. Full disclosure, I, Sesame Street was my absolute. Even when my kids were watching stuff, I'd be like, 11 o'clock, Sesame Street is on. That's when mommy's going to sit down and watch TV with you. Because I, I still know the one, two, three, four, five song. Like, yeah. you know, with the marble going through all the... <laughs> Well, it's, and it's it's actually very intentional. Like ses, all of Sesame is designed to encourage co-viewing and co- an interaction between parent and child. So it's 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 it's, it's intentional. I'm that waiting for. Been, yeah, <laughs> must have been such an amazing experience. Like I yeah. just oh, I I can yeah. imagine. Right, I'm waiting for my brothers to have kids. They're not going to listen to this, but I'm waiting for them to have kids so I can have an excuse to sit down and watch Sesame Street again. Um, <laughs> all right, my turn. So what does self-care mean for you? Because you obviously have a lot going on. What does that look like for you? Yeah, it's a good question and something that I have been working on. Um, For me, it does mean carving out the time. It sounds so, I feel like it's so cliche saying this, but it is carving out time to exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that's something that doesn't, I'm not one of those people who, who just does it without actually putting it in my calendar and making sure it happens. And I think it's important. Agreed. I'm with you there. <laughs> Feels like such a generic answer. I wish I had something more creative, but that that is my truth. But that's just it, right? Like, and and sometimes that's it. If you don't put it in your phone, it doesn't happen. So, yeah, yeah and prioritize. Like, it has to happen. Like in the same yeah. way that, like, I had this meeting. Like, that is something I have to do at that time. Yeah, no, it's something we all need to do more yeah. of for sure. Um, I have an incredible grandmother who's 94, and she says that just you know she is able to stand up out of a chair and without help, and it's like those things that we have to be thinking about. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Um, 
So you're in Winnipeg. Can you tell us something that you like to do locally? Yes, I live near the most beautiful um, park called Assiniboine Park. And I love to just walk through with my kids. Yeah. It's beautiful in Winnipeg. Have you been, Grace? No, Ever? I haven't. I haven't made it yet, but I will do. Yeah, it yeah. is quite beautiful there. And I mean, it's a bit of everything there. Yeah, it's people don't think of Winnipeg as somewhere to come visit. Um, and I didn't grow up here, but I really it's home. It's a really the people are so nice. And it's a wonderful place actually to have a business. Yeah. Where did you grow up? Calgary. Oh, in Calgary. See, that's yeah. I haven't made it there yet. And and I'm going to stem off of Grace's question because you said you used to live in New York. So what was your favorite thing to do when you were out there? You know, I guess there's a theme, but just walking on the Upper West Side where we lived, walking through Central Park. Um, I was just there recently, actually, with my husband celebrating our 15 year anniversary and we did the same thing. It was so nice. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. All right. That wasn't my real question. I just was piggybacking <laughs> off of Grace. All right. So I'm going to switch things up a little bit and ask you, what scares you? What do you, what freaks you out? Oh, what scares me? Snakes. Um, but outside of snakes, I, <laughs> you know, I think all of the things that all parents always worry about, I, at, on a personal level, I always am thinking and worrying about my family. Um, but on a more, you know, on a more meta level, I guess, or from a business and, and what I do professionally, um, I am really, I, I'm not joking when I say I'm really freaked out by the post-pandemic impact on reading and by these reading scores. Like it is, it is going to have an effect on for the next for decades. And so wow. what motivates us to, to really be thinking, like I said, about the impact and about how to even make that a bigger part of our business. It's, it's frightens me. Wow. Yeah. And we don't, I mean, there was that talk, I guess, at the beginning of the pandemic, what is this going to do to the kids? But now we're kind of coming out on the other side of it and seeing more numbers. I've, I've heard, you know, meanderings from my husband. Yeah, and- <laughs> and I think, like for our older kids, I definitely think we've got the mental health stuff. Um, and for our younger kids, I worry less about that, um, and a bit more about the academic stuff and then the impact that that can have on their mental health and the rest of their well-being. It's a circle that's just looping round and round and round. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite frightening. You know, we had a literacy crisis before the pandemic. And so that, that was, yeah, you know, it's going to be long reaching. Yeah. It's going to take a community. Yeah, absolutely. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to try and uplift the um, the conversation. What is a guilty pleasure? Oh, a guilty pleasure. I don't even think I should say this, um, but I will. This is embarrassing. My both my co-founder and my husband are going to be embarrassed. I said this. I love to watch The Bachelor. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> No shame. There's no None there's shame. Whatsoever. There's some shame. No. We you need might to... have to edit that part out. No, <laughs> not at all. That's oh. the best part. I love it. Because we do need that just brain numbing, <laughs> like something easy to distract right? us and yeah. make us smile. Like it's, yeah, it's got to be done. <laughs> got to be done. I've watched Love is Blind, like, and I'm on season two, right? Super easy. I used to watch Bachelor and Bachelorette. So I'm with you. Yeah. And Bachelorette. Yes. The whole Bachelor franchise. The whole series. (laughs) Yes. Wrong. So I'd love to know what's at the top of your bucket list. Mm -hmm. Top of my bucket list 
is, it's a great question. What is at the top of my bucket list? You know, professionally, I think we're in a really interesting place. So I'm not going to say too much, but there's a lot with the business that, you know, raising our, raising our seed round was very exciting. And, you know, learning about that process and what's going to come next for who reading from a, from a corporate perspective is, is very exciting. And there's some bucket list stuff on there that I probably won't speak too much to. Um, (laughs) And yeah, I just, you know, other than that, I actually am just enjoying traveling with my family. My kids are, at an amazing age, my daughter is 12 and my son is nine. And I've noticed in the last, you know, we took our first trip after COVID a few months ago and it was like a whole different ball game traveling with yeah. kids at the age than it was when they were, you know, before the pandemic, when they were little, we're able to do such cool stuff. So just explore yeah. the world with my family. I love it. Yeah. That seems to be at the top of everyone's mm-hmm. list lately, yeah. just seeing the world, right? Yeah. Yeah. Being with ones you love. Yeah. Love yeah. All right, Grace, last one. Oh, last one. Okay. What advice do you, what do you think wish more women, women would do for themselves? I wish that more women would have confidence to take risks in business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We see it all the time. It's so true, eh? Mm. Oh, I said, yeah, I notice a lot of, I meet a lot of incredible women, even, even in my own company. And I have noticed that they don't seem to be as willing to take risks. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. they're with someone that takes risks. So hopefully, I, I mean, so. you inspire us. So I imagine yeah. you've got wow. that ripple effect over there. So, Thank but you. it's so true. The more we can kind of share stories like this though, and, That's and it. talk with one another, it is helping yeah. to build that and I mean, something. Do we have a, another minute or two? Yeah, of yeah. course. Because something that I was hoping would come up that didn't, that I'd like to share. And you know, this Maria from what we did at, um, at, when I met you at Mompreneur, um, who reading was not the first business that we started with this technology. We started yeah. a company called Kindoma and it used the same technology that we use today, but um, to connect kids and parents or grandparents to read over video chat. And that business failed. And I think it's important that as women, we talk about not only our successes, but also our failures, because it's not like it's been an easy road or short journey. You know, there was a lot of failure and challenge in there. And um I'm very privileged to have been able to stick to it. Not, not all women are in the position to do that. So I think it's really hard, but I think it's important that, you know, I share that it wasn't just an easy road. There was a company that failed that we had to close and that was, you know, that happened. Yeah. We, it's, it's something you're right. We don't talk about it enough, but it is so important. And and we were saying the other day, you know, oh my gosh, if we could list out all the different ways that we failed or screwed up or (laughs) had to start over, you know, most 12 year overnight success stories have had. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Like I say, who, who reading is like the world's longest overnight success story, right? Right. So it's so true. Yeah. And, and there's so many women that. Yeah. In that same boat, right? So I'm so thankful that you could share that because it is, it's, you know, it's something that I think a lot of times women feel like we have to do everything perfectly. We can't show that we're, you know, we don't know what we're doing. We can't show we don't have all the answers. Oh, and by the way, when I'm building this empire, I'm also doing all the dishes, taking the kids to school, making their lunches and doing all of it. Right. So the more yeah. we can share that, that does not have to be the norm. And it really yeah. isn't. It isn't the norm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's nowhere near the norm. Yeah. 
Absolutely. It, it's important. So thank you for sharing your voice today, because that helps us to continue to share that message and, you know, inspire women out there to just keep on the path that makes sense for them, whatever that looks like. So ah, this was really great. Thank you. Yeah, we, we loved it. So, you know, for anyone out there that's been listening, if this has inspired you, you know, and, and made you think a couple different things, please share this podcast episode with at least three other women. You know, our job is to continue, continue to uplift and inspire one another. So you helping us along the way and helping, helping us to share stories like Carly's, um, helps to make that all happen. So until we get to see you again, thank you so much for tuning in Carly. It's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you and seeing all the incredible things you're doing. Thank you so much for being here. (laughs) Thank you. It's been great. All right, everybody. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.